Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. Our mission is to help fathers be present by sharing valuable ideas and concepts that will equip men to be the best father possible. Being a good father is hard work, but it is so vitally important. We believe that dads matter, and that's why this podcast is for you. So gear up, dads, and get ready. It's time to start climbing. Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. Uh, I'm joined today with Justin and his beautiful wife, Ainsley. She is a, a pediatric dentist. And then we are also joined by Dustin. Unfortunately, George cannot make it tonight. Uh, so we're going to just kind of jump into it. But before we do, I just want to say a quick disclaimer uh, for the advice that we're giving tonight. None of it is medical advice or professional advice. So just take this with a grain of salt. Uh, it's just based on our personal experiences. And uh, we're, we're very excited to have this episode for new dads and dads who are expecting to become dads. Uh, so uh, we're going to kick it off. Uh, we're going to start with Justin and Ainsley. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how your week's been and let's get started. <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> there you go. Okay. So I have uh, been drinking from a fire hose uh, at work. I am outrageously busy, but it's a good busy. Um, and then on top of that, we're, you know, trying to do our thing here at the house and prep for, you know, the holidays because it's going to be madness. So it's yeah. been an interesting week to say the least, but uh, things are going good. Ainsley's been been pretty busy, right? Pretty busy. Yeah. Um, work's been good. Very busy. Um, slowed down a little bit mm -hmm. since school kind of got back into high gear, which has been a nice kind of a slowdown, but. Yeah. Um, I guess busy is a good problem, yeah. so you can't really complain much. Absolutely. Dustin, tell us about your week, man. Uh, it's been good. Um, just got out of the pool with a uh, little man. He's swimming up a storm, which is awesome. Caught up with an old friend nice. uh, from college I hadn't seen in a couple of years. Um, and so that was really cool to, uh, to see him. Um, so I had a really good day. Um, awesome. Yeah, definitely. Cool. The, the jet lag is finally gone from the uh, trip to Germany, so feeling back in the oh. swing of things. <laughs> yeah, man. Taking the great oh. Icelandic air. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the Icelanders. Yeah. Yeah. Call your boy also, on. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter it up. <laughs> Get it fired. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my there gosh. You go. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're above six feet tall, um, don't fly coach on international flights. <laughs> Just throwing that out yeah. there because inevitably there will be two giant dudes, one to your left, one to your right, and they will squeeze you in really tight and you will have a tough, tough flight. Don't do it. You know, just uh, upgrade it, get a better seat um, and your back <laughs> will thank you very much. So that is medical advice. Do not fly middle seat <laughs> if you are above six feet tall and you're flying Iceland air because awesome. they're big people, right? They're Icelanders and there's, you know, I'm all like, they're big. the whole time right. for like eight hours. I know they don't care. Just no well, you're a big dude too, so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Duly, duly noted. All right. Well, my <laughs> week is, <laughs> I was going to say my week has been pretty busy. Uh, finally got some integration stuff done at work. Work's going great. Loving, loving everything there. Kids are healthy. Uh, we're wrapping up on our fall session of soccer uh, until the springtime. So that's, that's going to make us a little less busy during the week. So we're going to kind of catch up, keep above water, you know, get a couple of breaths of air, you know, and uh, yeah, everything's going great though. We're, we're super blessed. So 
Uh, I'm excited about this episode. Um, we're going to be covering a lot of different things about um, just tips and tricks on how to um, prepare for fatherhood, or if you're just a new dad, things that might make your your quality of life a little bit better and your spouse's quality of life. So uh, it's going to be real important um, for some of the things that we go over. And again, uh, Justin and Angela are going to start us off here. Um, and then, you know, Dustin and I will have a couple of things we kind of want to interject there. Uh, but other than that, let's let's go ahead and get started, Justin. Sure. So the uh, sorry, we got a gnat somewhere in the house. It's kind of weird. If you see me get slapped, she's not abusive. I promise. <laughs> uh, well, sure. she is good. You piss her off enough, maybe. <laughs> I'll come on with a black eye one day. Um, so um, we're going to kind of start off. By, do you guys want to talk about the our birth experiences first, since each of sure. our wives kind of had yeah. something going on? So. Um, Ours, our birth experience was interesting to say the least. Yeah. And I've, I've spoke about it a little, but, um, it's, you know, you go in there and the best thing and advice I could give you as a new father or a father to be, don't go in with expectations because everyone's going to hype it up. They're going to tell you, Hey, it's the best moment of your life. It's this, it's that. And it could be the complete opposite. So don't set yourself up for failure. Just kind of be ready and expect the worst because we're going to cover some things too here that are in these books um, that we're going to talk about that talk about what you can do for your spouse, how to speak up for your spouse, because women, when they're giving birth, they're either drugged out of their mind (laughs) and incoherent, which I can attest to, or they are in so much duress and stress that they can't think properly. So uh, I think it's, it's always good to kind of have a birthing plan. And that's one of the things that's covered under this um, because ours did not go (laughs) as planned. Um, it, it was pretty interesting. Um, do you want to tell, talk a little bit about what happened or do you want me to tell the story? Okay. So in a nutshell, um, Ainsley was actually a few days past our due date. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is, Bennett was a very, very big boy. Um, he wasn't fat by any means, but he was, he was pretty, pretty stout little guy. He wide. was just wide, um, very Absolutely. large. Yeah, very, very, yeah, little linebacker to say the least. Everyone kept saying he's a solid baby. He's a solid baby. Yeah, he had to put that cookie down for sure. Um, well, Ainsley actually should. <laughs> but all joking aside, he ended up he didn't have really any fat on him, but he was eight pounds and ten ounces. So he was a big wow. dude. He's twenty-one. He is a big boy. And he never came down. He never really dropped. And he stayed in the same position throughout the entire uh, pregnancy. His, his head was down and his, well, his legs were over and her yeah. ribs and stuff. But We did the whole induction process too, which was a little rough, I guess you can say. I kind of went in there like ready for it, wanting it. Let's get this show on the road. Um, and it is a little bit more intense, I guess, if you can say, like all the contractions and the... Um, the Pitocin pushing and stuff like that. It just really is a little bit more intense than I was really prepared for. Um, but yeah, I guess like kind of how Justin was saying, just really being open to a lot of different potential outcomes. Um, I was very open, um, thankfully, because things even went more south than what I was thinking they were going to go. But um, from the start, I know it's, it's a very controversial kind of, um, topic 
Um, a lot of women are like really, really adamant about they want to push, they want to go natural, whether that means epidural or not, but they're not mm -hmm. really open to the opportunity or the potential of having to get a section or anything like that. So uh, fortunately, my sister had a section, she had two sections, and they went really well. So it's kind of, you know, in the doctor's hands, whatever is right, whatever you think, let's roll with it. Um, and so that really kind of helped both of us a lot just saying like, do what you need to do when the time's right, let's roll. Sure. Um, but things still kind of went south on top of that. But um, being just as hard as it is to say, but being calm and kind of giving up that control, which is very hard for me. You can ask him, I'm a mm -hmm. control freak in all aspects of life. But in that, to me, it was like me getting stressed or me getting worried or me trying to control how the birth was going to happen was only going to make everybody else more hectic and more fuzzy minded than just kind of being like, do what is safe, do what you would do if it were your wife or sure, your family sure. or that. Um, so although it was a, a kind of rocky delivery, um, I mean, it, it was perfect in what it needed to be. We had, and then yeah. it came out absolutely fantastic. We so. had great staff and, and the doctor was the doctor that delivered Bennett was the doctor that delivered her and her sister. And he's. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I can't say enough good things about him. I'm not going to say his name, obviously, but um, the one thing I would say is speak up. Um, and this is something Brandon and Dustin can attest to. Uh, if you feel something's not right, say something. Um, mm -hmm. Because I'm glad that we got the epidural and we did. Had we not got it, Ainsley would have had to have been intubated and put under. And it could have created a lot more problems uh, than sure. what happened. And, and they took her running down. They're ripping jewelry off her. They're doing everything they can to get her to the OR as quickly as possible because um, she was having such bad contractions at one point. She was about to pass out. Um, and and they scale it on a on a machine. And from from what the nurse was saying, she was having some pretty intense ones. But um, you can see it was it was a struggle and so anyways mm -hmm. um long story short they got it to the or everything went okay but ask for that epidural or whatever you need to 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 get yourself comfortable or get your wife comfortable excuse me uh, because if you don't and you pass that threshold you can't get an epidural after some points so um right. definitely speak up if the wife says i want an epidural make sure it happens don't yeah. don't back down until it does it does take a little while as well which Dustin could yeah. probably attest to Yeah, that. I was going to say that's, Dustin. Yeah, that, that's not um, – like, so there's still a window to put a spinal in. You wouldn't be able to sure. put an epidural in, but you can still put a spinal in. So we do yes. a lot of emergent spinals. Um, mm -hmm. There is a certain point where the baby's going to die in 30 seconds. We have to intubate you, but that's really rare. 99% yeah, yeah. of the time, we can still keep you awake, do a quick spinal, um, and, and get you you know, taken care well, of. Well, I think way. that so. was what was our issue was they were waiting to potentially do the spinal, <clears throat> thinking that we were going to do a C-section. And then once they called epidural, it took another hour and a half for the anesthesiologist to get there to give the epidural. So then it was just like, it was just like, boom, 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 epidural, OR. We might have to spinal on top of this. We might have to intubate. It, it was, it was yeah, just a yeah. little, it was weird. It was a little bit different than anything that I've ever heard or experienced, but yeah, you know, just put the trust in someone else. Like you have enough to worry about on your plate. Um, you know, being a mother in this situation, being a father, just kind of just trust. I feel like that's the only thing I could really say that that really helped me get through it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So it was, it was hectic to say the least, but yeah. Um, Dustin, I'll let you kind of talk. I know you had a hell of an experience. <laughs> 
We did, yeah. Um, so we came at something called a uh, placental abruption, um, which mm -hmm. is a pretty scary situation um, where the uh, placenta is basically removed too quickly from um, from the baby, and uh, that can lead to the death of the mother and the baby very quickly. Um, so mm -hmm. in her case, uh, same as you, Ainsley, uh, she already had, uh, already had an epidural in place. Um, so they dropped some, uh, some lidocaine in works in about 10 minutes and they were able to, um, get her going very quickly. But, uh, she, um, had a hemoglobin of, uh, seven, uh, super, super low. So they almost had a transfuser. Um, you know, it was just a, a horrific experience. Um, Lucas came out super blue for a couple minutes. So I was thinking, you know, he's going to be disabled. Like it was, you know, it was a pretty scary situation. Um, but it's incredible how resilient kids are. Um, you know, if it had been a hundred years ago, uh, my wife and child would have both been dead a hundred percent. Um, so I'm very thankful to the medical community and the advances we've made, um, that I still have them today. Um, you know, I 100%, you know, they're, they're the reason that, you know, they're still around. Um, so if you have any questions about, you know, having a birth at home versus, you know, having a good backup plan for uh, getting to a hospital, um, get a good backup plan for getting to the hospital. Um, you know, you probably be okay, but it, it's why would you gamble with that? Yeah. You know, yeah. it just doesn't seem worth it. Um, so home birthing is wonderful. You know, if the experience goes well, it's, uh, mm -hmm. probably vastly superior, you know, to the experience that we all had in the hospital. Um, but, uh, you know, just make sure there's a plan to get to a good hospital with a good obstetrician. Um, yeah. And that being said, most uh, OBGYN groups um, have anywhere from three to 10 different doctors that work in the group. Um, you may fall in love with your doctor. Um, he or she may be excellent, but there's a good chance that they won't be the one there when you birth the baby or when you have a C-section. So make sure that you vet the other doctors in the group and that you would be OK mm -hmm. with any of them um, uh, birthing your wife's baby. Um, because, really you know, it, there's a good chance that, you know, your opposition will be there, but, uh, you know, they, they can't work 24 seven. Um, sure. so if your baby decides to come at three in the morning and they're not the person on call, you're not getting your preferred doctor. Um, so it just, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, as a dad, um, there's a lot you can do. It makes a big difference. First of all, be there, you know, if, um, mm -hmm. if you've got a girlfriend, you're knocked up or something, or, um, you're not sure if she wants you there, you know, be there. Um, find a way to get there um, because that's that's super super important for her to have you know you in her corner. Um, you can imagine how scary it is you know to do this even with the assistance of all the the staff and and you know dad there. Um, mm -hmm. You know if, if you are not sure you should be there because you're not sure about the status of the relationship, try to be there. You know it's worth it. Um, mm -hmm. If there's any chance of saving that relationship, of you having a good relationship with your children, um, guarantee you if you're not there, yeah, that mom is gonna let you. She's going to remind you of that <laughs> every For single time. time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you have to work, you're in the wrong state, find a way, find a way to get there. Absolutely. You, know, you knocked her up, you some, over that. Some women will even say they don't want you there, you know, short of you being an abusive crackhead. <laughs> yeah. Be there absolutely. because you would, yeah. you would be surprised how many people would show up to something and have, you know, messed up a lot in their life, but you show up and do the right thing and it changes you and it changes them and their perspective of you. And, you know, yeah. it can, it can really, and you cannot do it alone. No, being right. alone. It's hard. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, I, th I think that goes back to the fact, uh, the whole premise of this, this podcast is that presence matters. Um, you're, you're devoting the most important currency that any human being has, which is your time. Yeah. Uh, Cause you can't get it back and it's not refundable. Uh, so, and, and that, that, to me, just all these stories tells me that as a dad, you have to make sure that one, you're prepared communication wise with your wife or your girlfriend. I mean, you have to make sure that you're on the same page with them. So communicate with each other beforehand. Um, 
That way you have a plan. You know what your what your wife wants uh, in the case of any situation that comes up uh, during the, the, the pregnancy uh, or the birthing pro- process. So like my, my wife, she she knows that I'm always going to be very uh, articulate and very attentive to, to everything that she's dealing with. So like one of the things I was doing was when Summer was having our kids, I'd, I'd make sure she had water. I made sure she had a cool cloth for her head. You know, I tell her she's doing great and give her some some emotional and mental and uh, encouragement. And then um, the other thing I was doing when I was looking at her blood pressure, like with Bela, we noticed that um, her blood pressure was dropping and the alarm was actually going off. And um, we actually didn't have there was a lot of bursts going on all at once. So we didn't have anybody being attentive to that. And I had to I rushed out and actually told a nurse, hey, I need you all to double check this. And they came rushing back gave her medicine and it stopped her from going into cardiac arrest. So, you know, I don't say that to scare people, but I say that to, to make dads, just make sure that you're vigilant and that you're attentive to your wife's needs and to her situation, you know, cause like Dustin was saying, you did the easy part and, and, you know, the most important part is you showing up. And, uh, it was and the hard part. Just, you know, it was the uh, hard part. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so stories aside, just, you know, <laughs> have a plan. Uh, and, you know, your, your wife will have a plan and, she, you know, most times OBGYNs will come up with a, a really good thorough plan with the wife, but you need to communicate with her to make sure that you have that plan aligned with yours. Um, books are good. Um, but but experience is king when it comes to, to fatherhood. So let's let's move on to, to some other subjects here. Let's let's go into uh, like aftercare. Once the baby's actually born, um, what kind of things did you guys kind of learn the hard way? And like what were some things that you'd want some dads to know moving forward after the birth? Oh, man. So that's actually a really good question. Um, so when he was first born. And I've said, I think that I've said this before, every guy on, on this planet, I don't care how rough and tough they are, a child softens you and you go from being, I don't care if I got cancer to, oh my God, is this kid breathing? <laughs> like you will sit there and listen to your child breathe. You, you listen to every noise they make and you kind of become an instant hypochondriac because you're responsible for someone else's life. And it has you mm. at this alert state. You're already stressed. You're already tired. So um, Ainsley, one of the best things she said to me was go get sleep because I, I had a breaking moment. Uh, unfortunately, I just mentally, I, I'd been up for what, I don't know, almost 36 hours. And I was just exhausted because I had some other stuff going on and she made me sleep and thank God that she got the nurses to help. And that's another thing. If you have nurse stations that are willing to help and watch the baby, make them come to use them. I do not be afraid to ask for that help. Absolutely. If pride comes before the fall, let me tell you, you will be absolutely exhausted. Um, So make sure that one of you is slept and take turns sleeping um, and take turns taking care of the baby because Mm -hmm. both of you exhausted does nothing. And that's what she was kind of pointing out to me is if we're both exhausted, we're both not at our best and we're likely to, you know, make a mistake or to, um, you know, not, you know, fall asleep or do something that we don't want to do when the baby's, you know, that fresh. But um, I guess that would be some of my advice. But as far as, you know, aftercare, what would you say? What were some tips and tricks that really helped us? Um, Bennett? I don't know. It's honestly a blur. (laughs) It really is. I feel like the hospital care, you 
sorry. You lose track of time so easily. Um, mm -hmm. Like going back when I got home from the hospital, I looked back at pictures and it was like, <laughs> I looked back at when they bathed Bennett and it was at 3 a.m. And I had no idea, but I was like, why would you come in my room at 3 a.m. to bathe my baby? Like, let me sleep. But every, every so hour or so they have to come in and it was check my vitals, give my meds an hour later, give Bennett his, do his vitals. And then another hour later, it was something else. So it's very continuous coming in and coming out the door and it's exhausting. Um, but you rest when you can, you ask for help when you can. Um, if you have help, that would be wonderful. Like I had my mother come in for 10 hours and I said, Justin, go home, go shower, go change your clothes, do whatever you need, go cut the grass, Love you, <laughs> do something that allows you to regain your perspective and like regain your identity. Because for me in the hospital, we were only there for like a day or two. Um, cause we chose to come home a day early, but it was, you lose kind of sense of time. You lose sense of yourself. Um, you really just not on top of the, you know, drugs and all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's hard to just kind of be in that moment and in that wave. So, um, I mean, we'll get into all the books and stuff, but I read all the books beforehand when that baby comes your brain cells are done. Like you don't remember anything you read. I, I just remember him crying and I looked at the nurse and I was like, what do I do? <laughs> just like either feed him or hold him or rock him or swallow him, do something. But like, I forgot everything and I had to kind of just go with the flow and do it. That, you know? that made me, that made me think of something. So the proper tools for the job is absolutely paramount. Like um, and this is going to sound crazy, but knowing about nipple shield sizes can keep the baby from messing up your wife's nipples and causing them pain and, and not being able to feed them. Um, knowing about backups for formula and things like that, because some babies can't take breast milk or something's going on with the mother and they can't get the breast milk. You know, definitely, definitely calling the right tools. Swaddles. Learning how to swaddle is an MF or man. Let me tell you, it's not easy, but you'll learn it in the hospital, but have a swaddle that has a zipper or that has Velcro, because let me tell you that right there in the first few days is going to be a lifesaver for you guys. You're not going to sit there and fumble with the baby. It's just bop, 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 done. And I promise every second counts. I feel when you're like too, exhausted. the main thing that I can tell fathers that I really pushed him to do and he was kind of angry with me a little bit um but like every time the nurse came in i was like watch her change that diaper help her change that diaper let her watch you change your first mm. diaper teach her like learn how she's swaddling you swaddle the next one and so like one time i was like justin wake up and you change the diaper he was like i'm too tired i said well there's no there's no better time than now like you have someone to teach you how to do it you have someone to teach you say hey you're tucking this corner in wrong you're not wiping right. them right or you're not tightening the diaper enough like i really pushed him because i could i couldn't get up after my surgery i couldn't really sit very much so i relied on someone to hand me the baby but it was this is your time to um learn and have someone observe you while you learn because i'm a very hands-on learner you can tell me 18 times mm -hmm. until i actually do it i won't know what i'm really really doing um so that was very very beneficial because by the time we got back home Justin was like ready to roll. He was good. Like he, mm. 
I feel like he learned so much. I and felt he appreciated confident. that yeah. push because he would have never done it without it. Yeah, you got to suck it up, sure. Buttercup. <laughs> That's just sure. how it what is. About, so what about you, Dustin? Um, what's some, some afterbirth tips or some stories or experiences that you had? Like how did y'all utilize resources and that kind of thing? Um, we found uh, a doula, um, which is a birthing specialist um, that we oh. really liked. Um, they can be low cost or free depending on um, where, where you look. So it's not, you know, some crazy luxury thing. Um, they're available uh, through a lot of different hospitals and different, you know, organizations. Um, and they help with the birthing process. Um, when there's a C-section, they can't help that much. So unfortunately we didn't really get to use it for that. But uh, afterwards, um, it's really important for the health of a marriage that you don't try to do it all yourself. I know a lot of parents during COVID said, we don't want to have anyone around. We want to keep the baby, you know, from getting sick. We don't want to, you know, everything that was going on those couple of years. And it destroyed a lot of marriages. Um, there's, mm. uh, you know, you want to test a marriage, try six months with no sleep and no help. Um, it's just not reasonable, you know, to try to do that. Um, so, and Brandon, you're a better man than me. You know, it's, it's a tough, tough scenario. So, uh, we had an unbelievable, uh, we, we had a lot of help from family. You know, they were great. We had friends. Um, and so we had a lot of resources already, but uh, we still felt that talking to a professional about this um, was the best way to go. And she was incredible. So um, we did uh, probably 10 different sessions with her uh, where we talked about everything from sleep schedules um, to, you know, basically anything. She was on call. You know, we'd call her and say, mm -hmm. hey, um, we don't know what the heck to do. How do, how do we help with this? And she would say, well, I think this is what I would do, or let me contact one of my colleagues and the whole, you know, doula center would be available. So um, that's a resource I would highly recommend. I think they're available to up after maybe six months afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. And they're just excellent. You know, they're specialists in this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, reach out, um, find resources, uh, you know, as Justin said, you know, as a father, um, take that time to yourself um, because, mm -hmm it's, it's not selfish to take a little bit of time, you know, and, uh, and keep your mental sure. health where it needs to be. Um, it's, it's a very trying time. I know, um, it was the most emotionally unstable I've ever been <laughs> in my life was around that time. And mostly from lack of sleep, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. pretty good usually by getting six to eight hours of sleep every night. And so going months on end, you know, with, with very minimal sleep was, uh, um, just not something that I was ready for. And, yeah. uh, it was, it was really, really tough. Um, so having someone to lean on and talk to about that kind of stuff um, is something I would highly recommend uh, for everyone. It really made a difference there. Um, so it's uh, D-O-U-L-A as a doula. Um, yeah. They, uh, like Medula Oblongata. <laughs> so they do everything. They'll do a little bit before. Um, their real specialty and where people know doulas from is during the birthing process itself. Mm -hmm. They're birth coaches. They talk to you about breathing. Um, they, they help, you know, do some of the, the stuff, um, you know, teach the dad what to do, that kind of thing. And then uh, afterwards, they're, they're a great resource there as well. Um, so that that's the biggest one I'd recommend. Um, the other one, I read a book um, called uh, Dude, You're Going to Be a Dad. Um, fantastic read. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but uh, very funny, tongue in cheek, um, written by a guy who could have been a stand up comedian. I mean, he's absolutely hilarious, does a really nice job of keeping it light. It's short, you know, it's not long winded like me. He gets right to the point, <laughs> you know, he really, um, you know, it's maybe 100 pages and uh, nails down exactly what a dad can do um, to help his wife and to keep his sanity and to, uh, you know, make sure his, his kid is happy. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's very hard as parents to remember that. If you, you know, are struggling and are really having a tough time, that's not good for your baby, right? So we mm. all want to sacrifice and do what's right for the baby. But 
at the end of the day, we have to do what's right for each other and for the relationship. And the baby's important, but it's not everything. And, uh, you know, that seems obvious until you get into it and three months in and you're like, we haven't done anything for each other. Um, this is, uh, yeah. you know, this is brutal. Um, so anyway, those, those are the two pieces of advice I would give. That's awesome. Yeah. We I, did not read that book and I wish we did. Yeah. Or he did. Was, give, yeah. give it a quick glance. Yeah. You know, not too late. Yeah. I, I have to say that the, the resources thing is such a huge and pivotal thing. Like um, we did not have basically any help uh, with Benjamin, which was our first son, our first kid. And he had um, colic really bad. So constant reflux, constant, like he was awake. Uh, he would feed every hour and a half. Um, and one of the biggest issues we had was breastfeeding. And yeah. man, just let your, if, if your wife is like, man, I can't do this. Don't push her to breastfeed. Just, just let her do the, let her just let her free the nipple, man. You got to do it. <laughs> well, just let her, just you know, me. one, one, okay. obviously <laughs> utilize the resource of a lactation specialist. They, they regardless if you're doing yeah, yeah. breastfeeding or not, they can help with, uh, you know, coming down from the milk kind of thing. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits that they have for the for, for your wife. So lactation specialist, one of the ones I would add to the list besides a doula or, you know, a, a good side doctor there. But um, yeah, it, if it's if it's too hard on your wife, just just formula feed. Um, but I mean, obviously, that's a decision. Again, you want to discuss with your wife beforehand. Uh, and just in case, you know, you, you got to know that sometimes that doesn't work out for some women and sometimes it does. And so, you know, don't don't make it harder on your wife if, if you can. Um, I think the other thing, um, postpartum depression, uh, that is something that Ooh. I think dads really, really need to keep an eye out for. Um, your wife's hormones are the most imbalanced they'll ever be in their entire lives during this period right after birth. And so, yes, they're going to be way more emotional, even if they're not postpartum depressed, they're still going to be more emotional. They're going to be more sensitive. And that's that's a normal process. And you have to support them through that. Um, so as far as depression is concerned, like my wife dealt with it severely. And so we had to get her, you know, to a, a doctor almost immediately. And it, it, it's such a huge thing to be prepared for. Um, but other than that, that's, those are the two things I would say is, you know, keep an eye on, on, on your wife's mental state and well-being Absolutely. and your and, own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can't charge no somebody else's somebody. battery if you're on need yourself. You know, so yeah. So the yep. self-care thing is really important. Um, but like we yeah. didn't have sleep, uh, with Benjamin, we went six months without any sleep or help and we would wake up, uh, I think we got three hours of sleep a night and it was broken up from feedings. And we, I mean, literally that six months felt like a, a week. Cause it was just like, man, team, no sleep blur, you know, like yeah. just complete so deprivation. You brought up a good point. Um, watch for the signs. And so I noticed, and before she even noticed it, I noticed her signs. She was, she's always, always been a rock star about not being tired. Yeah. She's not a morning person. I can tell you that but she can get up and just rock out anything going on in her world. That being said, she was always tired. She was just sleepy all the time. She wasn't her normal self. Which and then, is normal in yeah, that and, and, sense of life. But. but you need to watch out for things that they say or do that are yeah. out of the norm because she said a few things to me that I was like, wait, what? 
and and then yeah. they're 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 gonna give pushback i don't want to go get help it's embarrassing it's you know it's make them go get the help right you, you gotta advocate for them i will say i guess i kind of felt like i might have been in that spiral but it's hard it's a hard pill to swallow and really be like yeah maybe i am a little depressed maybe i am a little anxious um but i think it took it was about four weeks four weeks postpartum i feel like we had um bennett's baptism and we had all of justin's family in town we had eight people staying over here um we had a big baptism party everyone in and out and it was just like pass the baby pass the potato throw them to mom when it's time to eat throw them to mom when it's time for a diaper change it and that now was like my breaking point um mm. i lost all cahoots and um and that's when everybody was like whoa you know and so i called my doctor um that next day and the main thing that they told me that was the most helpful is you know whether you are postpartum depressed or not or anxious or anything or on that cusp was um you have to be communicative with your spouse so I felt like the whole, and it was nothing against Justin did wrong, but mm -hmm. it was, I was doing everything for Bennett and Justin was super, super hands-on. I mean, he was a 50, 50 parent for sure, but it was, I go take a bath and not even three minutes later, someone needed me. Justin needed me to teach him, do something, help with something. Bennett started crying. It was time for Bennett to eat. It was time for Bennett to change his diaper. So I never had like my space. So it was always mm -hmm. like Ainsley, the baby's crying or, Hey, what do I do? So I never like got to shut my brain down on just like, give me like 30 minutes of like, shut eye or take a long shower. It never happened. And so, um, that was one of my, um, one of the PAs at the, um, doctor's clinic that I go to. She's a, a good friend. She called me that Sunday and she said, it is so important for you to say, Justin, the next hour is for you alone. Like I need to go for a walk. I need to go take a shower i have got to step away from the baby or it's not good um so that was super super powerful i feel like from that moment on it was very very awesome um justin was very um he's always been present but it was it was more so he knew if i said give me my my time i'm done yeah yeah, you know, he stepped up. your your so microphone. I'm so, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but your microphone is is phasing out there. You guys might want to move it or or try to fix it there. Okay. But yeah, I don't know anything about tech. I have no. Oh, knowledge. that's okay. That's okay. So while while we're working on that, I'll go over the statistic on postpartum. So I'm looking at the MGH Center for Women's uh, Mental Health. It's a reproductive psychiatry resource and information center, and they say that between 50 and 85 percent of new mothers experience a brief postpartum period of tearfulness and anxiety termed the maternity blues, but 10 to 15% of those women experience postpartum depression or PPD, which is the longer and more pervasive type, which is also the more dangerous mm -hmm. type because that's, that's the kind where yeah. women, you know, God forbid they commit suicide or they, they harm their baby. So if it gets mm -hmm. bad enough, uh, but if you catch in early stages, it's completely um, treatable with medicine and therapy and all these other things. So it's really important. Um, like I can tell you from experience, my wife was literally weeping for hours and hours and hours on end um, with our second child. And I knew immediately that it was, it was PPD. And so we, we got, we called her OBGYN. OBGYN took care of everything, got a psychiatrist and all that stuff. And she, she ended up on medicine for a full year. The, the psychiatrist recommended a full year of medication 
Uh, and now she's perfect. And, you know, one of the things that she was thinking was she's so fearful that it was permanent because she's never had that experience before. She's been always this bubbly, super happy person, but she was super scared that it was just going to be a permanent thing. And I can assure you, ladies, it's not. It's just a temporary thing. Medicine can fix it. And then your body will fix the rest of it once your hormones start leveling out. So, but yeah, Angela, uh, I thought that was a beautiful point. Self-care and self-time. Like uh, I call it mommy time. So like I would draw Summer up a bath. I could tell when she was stressed. I'd say, look, I got everything. You go take care of yourself. I'm going to do all the, the house stuff, you know, the logistics, the, the bills, the kids, all of that. You just take some time to yourself because that, uh, again, that is important. And then us dads, we have to do the same for ourselves, especially if we have to still go to work. You know, we're juggling the, the mom recovering. That. We're juggling uh, the baby because, you know, dads don't get leave like moms do sometimes, unfortunately. And and so, yeah, it's it's a tough juggle for both parents, for sure. And it's it's so important to to, to help uh, encourage and embrace each other um, and communicate with each other. I can't stress that enough. The, the communication was the only thing that got me and Summer through because, man, I'm telling you, those first six months with Ben was like, whew, man, I, I don't even like thinking back to it. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. it was just rough, but you know, it's just, it's one of those things you get tested and it's, it's the juice is worth the squeeze. I mean, I could never imagine my life without either one of my kids like ever. Yeah, they're so worth, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Um, you talk about so. time. Um, so for us, yeah. I mean, the way she described it, <laughs> I do a lot of the diapers. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get that wrong. Uh, but there are times when that baby's new and it is still suckling from the teeth. I don't have those. Yeah, so no, no. as a father, you need to understand, you need to plan around that timing, mm-hmm. um, one. And two, for me, I actually, I thought I would throw up or I'd be like, you know, for Christmas as Vince Vaughn, just, you know, <laughs> but thank God I was not. Cause you know, before when I saw my brother's kids, I was like, you know, like, Oh my God, what is that? With my own son, I have had no issues. I'm the first to dive in and and change his diaper because he's super cute and he's funny mm-hmm. when you do it. And, and we love poop diapers now. Like, it's like a celebration. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yes, you do. No, I, but here's another thing. I have had some friends, and please uh, don't take this in the wrong context, but I've literally had a friend of mine tell me, it's 3 a.m. in the morning, my kids start screaming, I want to kill myself. And I'm like, dude, what? That's going to get blues. And I get that. But you need to to take that and turn it into excitement. Anxiety and fears can be turned into excitement if you think about them in the right perspective. You need to remember, as a father, this is your only time you will ever get with this as a baby. This child is a baby. You will never get to hold them after you're going to blink and they will be, hey, dad. What's up? You know, or you know, a girl in high school going to prom, and you're ready to kill some 16 year old. But I'm just saying, you blink, and and life will go by you. So enjoy those moments. You're you're gonna hate. You're gonna feel like you hate them, but don't take it yeah. in those moments. Love your baby, especially if you have a crying baby. Mm-hmm. We're fortunate. Our baby's not a big crier. He's always been smiling and happy. That makes it easier. But you need to stop and remember that this is the life that that you chose to protect and have. And, and you need to be there for that baby uh, because you're going to feel moments where you're like, this sucks. But you need to mm-hmm. suck it up 
and realize that they depend on you. They love you mm-hmm. unconditionally and they're the only person in your life that will. Yeah. And, uh, and your best is enough. I feel like that was a really big mm-hmm. one for me. Um, just waking up, I would like kind of summer, like your wife, Brandon, and I would, I would just cry and I'd be like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And that was another thing. Someone else um, that had a baby a few weeks before me said, your best is enough. That is all that baby knows is your best. So just Mm -hmm. do it, you know, provide him the proper, you know, layout of how a day should be. Provide him food. You're providing him shelter. You're doing more than 90% of the world by just being their mother. Um, And that is very, or yeah, or their father. And that's very powerful. Just do your best. And that's all the baby knows. They don't know an ounce of the world from what you give them. Yeah. Yeah. And we can kind of go, we, we spoke a little bit of, Oh, I'm sorry, Dustin, you want to go? Oh yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, uh, you know, babies are incredibly resilient. Um, their brains, uh, you know, are designed to handle, you know, as long as they're not experiencing major trauma, you know, I mean, if you've got mm-hmm. parents who, you know, are doing something they shouldn't be doing with their kids and that's a different story, but absolutely. As Ainsley said, your best and you know what your best is, you know, is, is enough. Um, so, you know, as long as you're hitting those minimums, you know, if you miss a day of Mozart, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, a lot of intelligence and all that is, is, uh, you know, is kind of what that kid is going to be. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, if you're beating yourself up over, you know, your weird plan to make them a baseball player about time they're seven, <laughs> Justin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but uh yeah you know another thing um your wife can pump and you can be the guy at night you know if if, uh your son or daughter needs to be fed um you know stick some milk in the fridge uh you know you can also um lucas drank milk from like three different moms you can milk share that's uh Mm. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um you know there's uh groups that offer that um you know some moms produce insane amounts of milk and they have to pump extra that their children won't be able to drink because they just produce yeah. too much. And if they don't get rid of it, express it, they'll be in pain. Um, so there's sure. all this extra milk available. Um, and I, I think part of the reason he's a big, strong kid is because he got a bunch of different mom's milks. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, we had a, uh, a regular old moo cow over here. <laughs> Dude, she went to the doctor and it was, it was like three times what she should have been doing. It was funny as hell. I was pumping well, for triplets, essentially. So she we, was. So you wow. didn't know any better. You should yeah. donate. Give it to breastfeeding at four months old and we're almost eight months and we just finished our breast milk. Okay. Okay. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Which is also, we supplement with formula too. So, I mean, it, yeah, it yeah. helps. No, but it's some, a, it's a great no. thing. It is. And so, uh, but on the other side of that, there, there are moms that, that have issues with lactation. And so like they had, to, sure. they were forced to go to formula. And I can tell you right now, one of the best investments, it was a little bit more on the expensive side. It was one of the best investments we ever had was called a baby Breeza. B-R-E-Z-Z-A. Literally, you put a bottle up to it, you push a button, uh, how many ounces it is, and it automatically It's a formula Keurig. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's exactly. exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's a lifesaver. Man. And and doctor. So we just use that. Right. And so one of the things, other things that we use to prevent the colic, other than medicine, uh, I think we had to use ranitidine, but then it got recalled. But um was Dr. Brown's has a specific bottle with like a tubing that prevents air from when they're suckling on the bottle and that prevents the colic. So if your kid's yep. experiencing colic or they're bottle fed, the baby Breeza and Dr. Brown's bottles, I'm telling you, they're lifesavers. Wow. Uh, so, so invest in those for sure. 
for sure. For sure. That's actually That's, something we were going to yeah. suggest. It's on, it's, it's the Dr. Brown's. So that, that is a really good point to bring up because the first week of life I went see, um, we have a lactation consultant and like speech, um, and language pathologist, um, that works with our clinic a good bit. And so, we, um, I ended up going to see her and I was like, I just need to figure out what's going on, what I'm doing wrong. And, um, like I said, flange size was a huge one because all the companies that send you pumps and send you everything, they send you the two generic sizes that fit maybe 30% of the population. Um, so that kind of really, really, um, messes you up what a flange size is. It's the it's a part of a pump or any kind of apparatus that helps like draw milk that is supposed to fit like your boob or nipple size, essentially. So the standard one comes like a big size and it shows you how they're supposed to fit, but you really just, you think you're doing it right. And you, you, you really aren't. And it, and it really causes so much pain and, and havoc that it's like kind of hard to get back from. Um, so that was really nice for us, but I'm talking about oh oh the 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 bottles um so we got my sister used um como tomo with her with her babies and they loved them and they did great so that's what i bought and i said oh my gosh this <laughs> i said this bottle looks like a boob it looks it's 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 very round with like a little nipple and i was like this is i was using this- them at the gym i was like man this is crazy. <laughs> I said, this has to be the best bottle. It looks the most like a boob. And then there's, I think there's a nano baby that looks very, very similar. Yeah. And does. so when I went to um, the lactation consultant, she was like, that is what's wrong with kind of not social media, but just advertisements and all these things, because they're saying it looks like a boob. It's the best bottle, but there's no, like Brandon said, there's no apparatus inside that helps draw out that air um, and actually she said the, the more narrow the nipple, um, the better, cause you want the baby to like basically suckle down all the way to the cap and not just take just the nipple because that's how they'll emulate it on your body. So that was like a really big kind of like, Whoa, never would have known this. Never would have thought this. I thought I was doing the best thing by getting a boob shaped bottle, but Little did I know that was like actually horrible. Yeah. Um, for us, for us at least. And and like I said, my sister used Komotomo and loved it. I have other friends that use Inababe and they love it. But um, I feel like the Dr. Brown's narrow nipple bottle has been so life-changing for awesome. us and a lot of our friends who kind of had the same issues. Um, so that was a really and, good and point, B. You can you can get the matching pacifiers that match what the bottle nipple mm-hmm. looks like and it, it's comforting to them and i'm telling you what the second you pop that in baby's chill <laughs> it's been the greatest at least ours was thankfully uh and and now he still uses him it's his you know his little passy thing but um we'll kind of go i guess do you want to go into the passies you want to go into the books first it's up to you I'm gonna say something else. unless you all have something else oh b you're you're muted I was going to say, let's go into the pacifiers, um, especially since Ainsley's a, a, a pediatric dentist. So I think there's some other benefits to pa- pacifiers, but I would like her and you to to kind of discuss what those benefits are. For sure. And another thing, I guess, about pacifiers that was kind of confusing and um, I didn't really realize, but in the hospital, a lot of the 
Um, lactation consultants there want you to not give them because they don't want to cause mm. nipple confusion between pacifiers and um, and nipple, and that's makes sense um, for sure. But again, I think that's a very um, A versus B conversation. Some lactation consultants would say they're they're going to know they're getting milk out of one, they're not getting out the other, and then others will say right. that. So that's kind of a confusing do do as you kind of think we. We softly gave it in the hospital, but Bennett was a very good feeder from the beginning. Um, but um, that's a big thing is I feel like for us getting so many different pacifier types, like we went to the hospital with Avent. We went to the uh, the hospital with um, Mams, Mams, mm. I think it's called um, all these different things. And he didn't take so many different kinds Um because they just weren't comfortable to him, essentially. Um, so he took the mams at the hospital for the first three weeks of life. And a lot of, you know, of our friends have that. And then we kind of switched to more nipple-based pacifiers like the Avent or the Dr. Mm-hmm. Brown. So mm-hmm. like Justin said, that's just what our baby took to. And I feel like every baby kind of has their preference. Yep. So it is beneficial to get like three or four different brands. I know financially it's not um, the most ideal but it's very nice to just kind of find that comfort zone for your child to, to have that. Um, but a few things that we kind of did research on and, and I've kind of studied and learned um, that pacifiers do, in fact, help prevent SIDS. Um, I'm not entirely sure the, the scientific basis of it, but there's a lot, a lot of research on that, um, that it really does help, um, you know, reduce the risk of SIDS. And um, for you new fathers out there, if you don't know what SIDS is, SIDS is Southern su- sudden. sudden Infant <laughs> Death Syndrome. And it is a very real thing, unfortunately. And it is they, they have not figured out the cause for, for the reason sometimes this happens. Um, but a baby just passes away either in their sleep, their crib or for, for no reason at all. Um, and like I said, there's no scientific reason for it. Um, so. For some reason, like she was saying, these pacifiers can help with that. Um, so that's that's one of the big big factors. We but were, it's imperative to note too, like not you, you don't force feed your child to take a pacifier, yeah. um, thinking right. that it is going to prevent all of these things that can it happen. Um, it's you know, in the beginning of life, Bennett didn't want to take a pacifier, and then he did, and then he became a thumb sucker, which is another topic. <laughs> she hated um, that. <laughs> yeah. Like it is so hard to take this away from your child when you can throw the pacifier in the trash can when they get older. So when I started to see signs of this and going to sleep with his thumb and waking up in the middle of the night and sucking his thumb was when I really started putting the <clears throat> pacifiers in his crib and saying like, grab at your disposal, do what you need, but don't go to the thumb. Um, Cause it is sure. just, it is a very, very, very hard habit to kick. I have a lot of patients um, who do have, this habit and it can go into adult not adulthood but adolescent age i mean there's some eight and ten year olds that are still sucking their thumb and really have a desire to not um but it's it's a subconscious comfort zone that is hard um to break so Mm -hmm. in those regards i do um really recommend that and it does help you know, the growth of the draws and, and all of that. If you can imagine sucking on something all day, every day, your, your jaw bones are strong. 
I mean, think of like a little alligator, like they just chomp and chomp and your muscles are stronger than you think. And it does prevent your face from growing and your jaws from, you know, going in proper alignment. Um, so it is pretty um, imperative. Dustin, I know you, uh, you know quite a bit about SIDS. I do. Um, yeah. So Elon Musk's uh, son died of SIDS. Um, it's it's more common than, uh, yeah, than you'd think. Um, there's certain risk factors for it. Um, if the mother uh, was exposed to narcotics, um, it gets into the child's bloodstream. And so their respiratory drive drops, they're more likely to die of SIDS. Um, babies who sleep on their belly when they're very young uh, are also more likely to die of SIDS, which is why they always recommend uh, let your child sleep on their back. It's hard because they're more comfortable on their belly. I know for the first couple months of his life, Lucas, all he wanted to do is flip onto his belly. But literally on the swaddle, it says back is best. So yells at you. I'm sure you guys have the same thing. Do not let your child sleep on their belly because that's another risk factor for SIDS. Um, very premature children are also at a much uh, higher risk. Um, so basically, if, if your child had any uh, complications during um, the process, um, they're probably more likely to have SIDS. And so you should mm -hmm. uh, be a little more careful about it. Um, you know, the thing to consider is it is a relatively rare thing. And if you don't sleep at all because you just want to stare at your baby the whole time and make sure they're not, you know, stop breathing, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You know, at some point you have to outsource that, allow yourself to sleep. And um, there's a couple different options for that. Um, the uh, the Owlette is a great one. Um, that, that, yes. it's, it's a little pricey is the only issue. It's a couple hundred bucks. So it's, it's a bit of an investment. Um, but it's a pulse oximeter. Um, so it pretty accurately um, tells you what your child's blood oxygen level is. And if it drops below a certain amount, it'll alarm you, wake you up. And uh, it's definitely been shown to save some lives. Um, so it's a worthwhile yeah. investment. Um, but it's really hard. There's not, you know, like any kind of help with payment, you know, paying for that. So if you don't have a couple hundred bucks lying around, I get it. Um, there are some cheaper monitors that monitor respiratory rates. Um, we use something called a Miku, M-I-K-U. That was great. Um, it uh, uses a camera to determine what your child's respiratory rate is. And it can tell pretty accurately if your child has stopped breathing. We definitely got some, some false alarms. Um, so I woke up at three in the morning, you know, thing yelling at me, Hey, your child stopped breathing. I went in there. He was fine. He may have stopped. I don't know. But, um, so that's, those were like 50 bucks. That wasn't bad. And you can watch your child on your phone while they're sleeping. Um, which is kind of a nice perk to that. So the Miku was kind of what we used. Um, we had an Owlette as well. Um, it was kind of a pain to just keep putting it on his foot every night. So we stopped using yeah. it after a few months. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just depends on your level of comfort and, uh, you know, how, how careful you want to be. Um, so all kind of, you know, good options there, but, uh, you know, bottom line with SIDS, um, if your child had any kind of, uh, difficulty during the birthing process, they're probably at a little bit higher risk of it. Um, so it's important to, uh, you know, to be extra vigilant with that. Uh, it's M I K U Miku. Yeah. It's the one okay. we used. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. And so. similar to the Miku, we have, uh, the Nanit system, which is a camera system <laughs> and it's pretty affordable. Um, it's it's a few hundred dollars as well, but um, I believe you can get it on sites like Amazon where you can do, uh -huh. you know, credit and things like that. So uh, if you're financially just in a place you can't afford a lot, especially with a baby, I know how expensive they are. It's definitely a great place to go and get one. Um, but Nanit has a, uh, a swaddle that you can put on your baby that has like these little squares and triangles on it and it can read your baby's breathing patterns. It can learn your baby's oh, breathing patterns cool. to sleep. Okay. Yeah. And it yeah. alarms you if something's And it's, it's a little extra cost, but it's like maybe $25 for the swaddle, but it has like um, some black and white shapes that your camera kind of focuses on and it can monitor how 
um, like their breath um, sound, not sounds, but as is working. But yes, so the workload, I would say, um, and you can do dual. So that's a really big thing. If you're cool. looking for multiple kids and everything, it's a it's a dual split screen. You can have multiple monitors on one app, and it can um and nice. it can do, which is really really nice. And actually, we didn't do the um breathing things, but it is shameless plug. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So it's wonderful. You can put it on multiple devices. And you can um, spot on your babysitters. Yeah. That's really <laughs> yeah. Um, so it shows the temperature of the room, which is awesome because that's very important humidity. for the few, first few months, especially humidity in the room. We're in Louisiana, mm -hmm. so it's humid as heck. We don't even need a humidifier. Um, you can talk to the baby through the app without having play to move. Noise, white you noise can play noise. Me. You can turn on a light. You can do a number of different things. Take pit. My favorite thing, and uh, shamelessly I'll say this, I love taking the videos and, and things, you know, the memories and saving them because there's memories where she's going in and kissing them or I'm going in and grabbing them, cuddling them, and it's just nice little extras you get from it. But the outlet, sure. for sure, I would 100% suggest to anybody nice. uh, because – um, when he got RSV, I was in Chicago and thank God we had invested in this um, because we were watching his oxygen levels. He got down to 90. Um, and if you, you're not very familiar, if you go below 90, it's, it's about time to start going to the ER with your child. Mm -hmm. um, normal adults, what, 95, something around there? Or doesn't you're the anesthesia or the nurse <laughs> anesthetist? Um, well, what, 100 is a normal. Level? Well, yeah, no, I'm saying like, I'm saying like when, you're, when you're extremely sick. And oh dropping. sure, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Under ninety is a good, yeah. Under ninety is a good point. Whereas in adults yeah. and children, okay. you start. I just want to make sure issues. I was correct saying that, but yeah, no, of course. It was awesome because it let us know, hey, there's something going on, and and I feel like it caught, um, it caught both of his illnesses before, like the day, the two days before, his heart rate really was high, and Justin was like, whoa, why is his heart rate ninety? 198 or something yeah, like that it was like almost. it was like super super high and it was really concerning and i con contacted our pediatrician and he said look sometimes these things which is a great thing to um talk about as well is they can be more of a scare than they really are um there can be some outliers and there could be some things that go on but um his heart rate was super super high and then two days later he got a runny nose and a cough he had rsv then the next time he got COVID and then it, yeah, it really kind of like helped us. Kept the, it, it let us see. On. And when I say, I mean, his, his heart rate went maybe jumped to 200 once or twice for about a minute. And, and it was pretty terrifying because I know your heart rate's not supposed to go that high, even as an infant. Um, we were kind of studying it before we called our pediatrician and, you know, 180, 190 is about top where you you should feel comfortable with a baby even pretty high but and that's yeah. still high yeah and so when we saw that we were like oh god what's going on so having an outlet you know having an outlet put us at my uh put it at a it actually caught my niece's and, and, seizure too yeah it did my niece had a seizure at one years old and uh her outlet went off and they went in the room and um they had to call the ambulance and everything i mean she's well, great she's perfectly she's fine. fine she just had like a little febrile seizure but it uh it caught it when her oxygen wow. so so now that we've gotten into white noise and monitors let's talk about sleep schedules and like our sleep there's a couple of different sleep styles so do you guys like let them cry it out or do you go in there and assist them how do y'all let's let's talk about that dustin you can take that one first bud yeah absolutely um so and this is right from our doula are you guys getting some feedback Okay. Yeah, it's Justin's uh, okay. speaker. Yeah. Um, so 
you can't spoil an infant, right? Is a really important thing that I think a lot of fathers who want to be tough, you know, I'm not going to have a wimpy son. So I'm going to discipline him and make sure that, you know, he does the right things. That's not the right attitude with a three month old. Um, they, we treat, we think of them as adults, right? Because the way they're behaving might drive us crazy because they're crying or they're being, you know, they're doing something you don't want them to do. You have to remember though, that this is a, a partially formed brain, <laughs> right? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. You really can't, if there's nothing else you take away, you know, from this and you have, I mean, you cannot spoil an infant. You can spoil a five-year-old. <laughs> you 100% can. <laughs> That's for sure. um, but you know, for that first year of that baby's life, you can't spoil them. So um, I, I think it's called the Ferber method, right? The, mm -hmm. the cry it out concept. Um, everything that I've read uh, is very much against that. Um, and if that's how you were raised and how you raise your children, um, you know, there, there is obviously it's up for debate. I'm not going to say you're, you're a bad parent or anything, you know, and I, please don't take it that way. But uh, my personal understanding of all the newest research being done on this is that the cried out method is not the best thing for your baby. Um, if your baby is crying, you should go comfort them. Um, mm -hmm. If your nine year old is crying, you don't need to, you know, they're, <laughs> they're nine, right? So it, it's, it's age dependent. So it's very hard yeah. because a lot of us are taking this and going, oh, well, I'm spoiled, you know, I'm taking care of my infant. I'm going to, you know, go to them whenever I need it. And then it just doesn't stop, right? At some point, and we can talk about this later, you have to transition to where the type of parenting you do is different. And that's really hard for a lot of moms and dads, mm -hmm. right? They're either the type that's a little too tough on their kids or they're a little too lenient. And it's hard for us to adjust kind of one way or the other. Um, so as an, just rule of thumb, if they're under one year old, um, you cannot spoil them. Um, go hold them, go hug them. Um, if as a, you know, a dad or a mom, you feel, you know, a lot of people doing the, the cry it out methods. It's so hard. It took everything I could to not go comfort the baby, but I know it's the right thing to do. There's a reason it was so hard and it felt wrong to do that. Cause it's wrong. Go hug your baby. <laughs> if they're sad, <laughs> go comfort them. It's okay. Well, I, I agree things. to a point. Uh, there's different cries. If they're screaming bloody murder and it's a for real cry or a nightmare cry, go comfort or them. Or they're hungry. Or... or they're hungry. You can tell when they're hungry. If it's a cry because, wah, hey, come see me. No, don't give in. Because the second you do, they're not going to be able to start. You're going to start holding them. And they're not going to sleep Mom. unless you're holding them. And that's that's where we kind of had a little bit of a difference. Um, we kind of sure. we let them cry it a little bit. Well, to a yeah. point, not like I feel like we didn't do. I had a friend who did the cried out, and they let him cry for like forty five minutes. Went outside, turned the monitor off, and to me, that was like I would have lost my cahoots. Like I could have never done that. Um, we kind of took a bunch of different books recommendations on mm -hmm. what was what was beneficial and appropriate for your child's age. So mm -hmm. it might be, you know. I think it was a week and a half in when Bennett was born. I fed him every hour from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. in one day. And I was like, oh, my God, I cannot do this. And I realized I was I was just he cried a nurse. He cried a nurse. I didn't like let him figure it out a little bit in a say. So we never let him cry it out. But you kind of let them figure it out a little bit on their own. Mm -hmm. Like instead of being like, he's crying, we didn't jump to it. We kind of said, let's give him a minute. Yeah. Give him, give him 45 seconds. He's two weeks old or he's four weeks old. Let's give him 45 seconds and see what happens. And most of the time he went back to bed. Mm. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to create a cluster feeder. You have a cluster yeah. feeding baby. 
Because you go and you tata them every 10 seconds. And that's what I was creating at first. Let I me didn't tell know. you, it was... that is your worst nightmare. Yeah. You will never sleep. You will both be exhausted and you're both going to lose it eventually. So yeah. don't, don't allow yourself to create a cluster feeder. See, there's a fine line between letting them cry it out in a, in a bad way and, and letting them cry it out in a good way. And then going and being there's a supportive. Time that's appropriate. There, yeah. Too. There's a time that's appropriate when it's you, you go and tattoo sure. them or you go and hold them and, and comfort them. And you're going to know as a parent, most of us instinctually know and hear, and you're, especially the longer the time goes on, you're going to understand certain cries and certain sounds mean different things. Your baby will communicate with you, whether you realize they are or not. But it does take listen. a while to understand what that is. So mm-hmm. it, it took does. me a very long time to understand what he mm-hmm. actually needed. Um, but I think it is very important to note that the first two weeks of life in every book I read said the first two weeks of life is on demand. Whatever your child needs, you give them. Do not try and get them sleeping. Do not just wake them up, teach them night first day and feed your child if they need. Sorry, but it's right. Um, and so that was important. So cluster feeding is every little sound your baby makes you, you give them a feed and you 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 you don't, you kind of just only feed on demand or you feed on cry rather than kind of using. And that was one of the books, um, what to expect when you're inspecting. I'll kind of jump into that. Mm -hmm. I read that one while I was pregnant. I feel like that is the blanketed book that everybody reads. Let me turn this down. Hold on. Um, that was um, really beneficial when I was pregnant. It just kind of tells you a little bit of everything. And mm-hmm. it kind of does go out the window, but they go over the three different parenting styles. So there's a parent that follows the clock, which is, it says, the clock says nine, I got to feed. The clock says 12, I got to feed. The clock says three, I got to feed. Every three hours, you're mm-hmm. you're doing your thing. And then there's another type of parent that, my baby's crying, I feed. No matter if it means dirty diaper or he's hungry or this, my baby's crying, I feed. My baby's crying, I feed. And then the beneficial parent style that they recommend is kind of merging the two, that your baby's crying. Why are they crying? Let's sit back and look. Is their diaper dirty? Read the clock. So like kind of mimic the baby's cry versus is it time to eat or did he just eat an hour ago? If he just ate an hour ago, changes are he's not hungry. He just, he has a dirty diaper or he needs a little bit of self-soothing. He needs help going down. Um, And I feel like that was really, really beneficial was to kind of merge the two. If he's crying and it's been three hours, he's probably hungry. So the baby, you know, and it's right right in there. Um, See, we were, we were the actually like, we were the opposite of the let it cry it out. Like we, especially with Ben having so many problems with colic and stuff. He just co-slept with us and anytime him or Bela growing up cried or they were scared or anything, they're with us or we're with them. Like I can't tell you how many nights I fell asleep on Bela's floor next to her bed or summer did, uh, or same for Benjamin. And, and that's because like, I, like Dustin was saying to me personally, I felt like I wanted to be there for my kid every second I can and not let them mm-hmm. cry it out or figure it out because that kind of emotional regulation and those kind of things, to me, I can tell them that or teach them that in a later time where they they can actually communicate other than just crying. And I, and 
Yeah, there's different types of cries. So uh, I think one of the biggest things is for dads is when the baby comes out, man, start bonding with them, have physical touch with them, um, speak to him. So one of the things a lot of dads don't do is they'll just change. They'll just do this, but they're not talking to their kid. Look, man, look your kid in the eye. Talk to him. Say, hey, I changed your diaper so it doesn't hurt anymore. You know, even if it's like goo goo gaga, little baby talk, you know, whatever. But that language, that kid's hearing it and it's going to teach him language quicker. And it's also going to soothe him and he's going to know your voice or her. She's going to know your voice. And like, so yeah. it's it's a it's a beautiful thing. Narrate but like, your life. That's what they say. Narrate right. everything. Like I'm going that. cook. I'm yeah. going to make your bottle. I'm, I'm going to get water. Yeah. Every little thing that you're doing should be told. Mm. And I think that's really, really smart, Brandon, because that was the big thing. And it, it, it helps your child trust you and know that you're there. And, you know, you're teaching that communication. You're teaching them language, um, which is super, super imperative for them to start comprehending. I mean, whatever words go into their brain under X amount of age is the how their brain is going to grow. If you do not speak to them, they don't hear language. They don't know. There's no capacity for their brain to grow. So narrate. I mean, I tell him everything. I sing when I'm going to take a shower. If he's watching me, I'm telling him I'm washing my hair. I mean, anything. Yeah, if you call it, that singing. but uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> Still. That's the biggest thing is that they, the more you connect and bond with them, the more their brains grow in a healthy manner. Mm -hmm. um, their pathways that they develop are much healthier. I think Jordan Peterson and a couple other psychologists talk about it, but like zero to four or five, those are the most pivotal foundational times of their lives in development. And if you're not giving them attention and love that they need, it's detrimental to their development, both physically, emotionally, and like just on a, a intellectual level. So it's, it's super important. Love the, love the mess out of your babies. There's, you can never love them too much. And anybody that says otherwise is just completely ignorant. Uh, they don't know what they're talking about. You just ignore them and you love your baby. Um, and look, <laughs> trust, trust, listen, trust your intuition. If you think something's wrong, and you, you, you know your baby well enough to know their behaviors, man, don't risk it. Get them, get them seen by a doctor. Go see somebody. And uh, I mean, man, it's just so pivotal to know your baby and to bond with them <clears throat> off the bat. That's I can't stress that enough. Um, and yeah. no matter where you are or who you are, there are a ton of free resources available. Um, you can spend a lot of money as a parent on you know fancy gadgets and different stuff. I know I did, um, but uh, you know everyone's on a different kind of budget. Um, as far as uh, specialists, you know, different resources for uh, for speech, um, for psychology, for just about anything you need, there's almost always a free or reduced cost option, um, you know, to help mm -hmm. with that kind of thing. So reach out, um, do some research and look into it because and, and feel free to ask any of us, um, you know, if, if you uh, you need the information because it, it is out there and it's available. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they've got nothing to do. You'll call and they go, oh, I'm glad, you know, I, I didn't have anything to do today. I'm happy to come out and, you know, I, there's, um, you know, lactation consultants, there's um, specialists for every kind of kid thing you could imagine, um, you know, free nurses, all that kind of stuff The the um, states provide these resources for parents. And I think a lot of people just don't know about them, so they don't take advantage of them. So mm. any weird problem you're having with your kids, Google it. And there's probably a specialist who's like, here you go, we'll come help you uh, or someone, you know, similar as far as that goes. Um, yeah, so sure. along those lines, one of the things we learned about um, was called sleep windows. Um, so kind of like going by the clock, um, but you read your child's mood essentially. And there's 
five kind of key signs that your child is really sleepy and, and ready to sleep. Um, they'll yawn. Uh, they'll be a little bit crabby or irritable. Um, you know, we've all seen kind of a sleepy, tired baby. And you've got a window. You've got about 10 or 20 minutes to get that baby asleep for their nap or their, you know, their nighttime sleep, whatever it's going to be, um, before they rally. You know, it's like a drunk guy that, you know, gets his second wind or the same way. Or his grilled cheese. Yeah, he gets his grilled cheese and he goes. And when you miss that window, you're toast. The kid is going to be mad. He's not going to sleep. He's overtired. And you just wrecked your day, basically. So um, you have a window. And it won't always be at the same time. It won't always be at noon. It won't always be at 3 o'clock. You know, um, your kid's circadian rhythm um, changes, you know, as they get older. Um, And uh, so – you got to be vigilant with seeing how your kid is behaving. And if you've got a really important, you know, game you have to get to, and you know, you can't possibly have time to take your kid to sleep, whatever it is, you, you got to, for those first couple months, schedule your life around that kid's sleep because you will be very unhappy. Otherwise, if you have a good yeah. sleeper who's, you know, sleeping pretty regularly, you're going to be a much happier parent than if Absolutely. you, you know, try to squeeze it in and go, oh, he'll figure it out. No big deal. And then we're just going to kind of live our life. It, it's um, you're setting yourself up for a very difficult uh, couple of months. Um, so I those sleep windows are key. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think for me personally, you, you kind of hit on a point there. Um, I And if I'm being transparent, I think one of the hardest things for me was um, selfishness, selfish time. Um, and, and with Benjamin, it was so hard with lack of sleep. Like anytime you have your first kid is it's always going to be the hardest time in your life or one of the hardest times. And it's because you've gone from this person who has to look over, look after nobody other than your spouse and yourself to, you've got a precious little baby that is fully dependent on you. And it's like, you have to die to yourself. And the selfishness dies very abruptly. It's like going cold turkey on cigarettes or alcohol or whatever vice that you have. It's it's tough. Uh, it's mentally draining. So um, I think that's something we should maybe kind of dive into a little bit is um, what specific things changed for you guys that was a tough adjustment when you had your first kids? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump on that. Um, I knew, so I'm big on hobbies. Um, I would have three friends over seven days a week if I could. I'm very much an extrovert. You know, I love spending time with friends um, and I, you know, loved athletics, all that kind of stuff. So I knew I'm a big tennis player, have been my entire life, but I kind of told myself that's a sport that I'm not going to enjoy playing once a week. Um, so I'm going to have mm-hmm. to give that up. And I, I promised myself I'd still work out and, you know, take care of myself in those regards. But um, as far as, Playing tennis, um, I, I like playing some video games. I, I said I'm going to have to give that up for a while. So I, um, at least for about a year, kind of didn't do much of that. So, you know, a lot of those activities that I really... You guys get to play video games? <laughs> what, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Who would do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and these are these are activities that I didn't realize how much I missed. I was jonesing for some tennis. I wanted to go, you know, catch, I play Pokemon Go. I wanted to go catch some Pokemon because I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly where's my dragonite you know so um and giving that stuff up was uh was much more difficult than i had anticipated you're absolutely right brandon the um you know i never thought of myself as a selfish person but as far as um struggling with giving up that personal time you know for my child that uh 100 was was me being selfish and so um one of the beauties is you know as your kids get older we got we got feedback in your end again 
um, you know, as your kids get older, you have a little more time, you know, to engage in those hobbies and, and, um, you know, take care of yourself. But uh, those are the big ones for me was, was giving up hobbies and um, not having those, uh, that time with my friends, you know, that I used to have um, and spending it with, you know, my wife and my child instead. Um, and I wouldn't give it up anything, but uh, it was, um, it was tough. Those first couple months of that, it, it was a big struggle. It was a big adjustment. That was the big thing. You know, I'd spent 37 yeah. years of my life being able to do whatever I wanted. I could run to Europe whenever I wanted to, you know, no big deal. Yeah. And now, you know, you could go once a year if you're lucky, but you, you yeah, know, it might be once every other year. It's, it's tough for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. I can't tell you. I was in a anxietous and depressive mood for, for months on end because you got this set schedule of dopamine and all the good stuff and, you know, plenty of sleep to going to no sleep, stress, taxed out. And then on top of that, you're, you're not doing the things you enjoy. You're, you're doing the things that you have to do. So yeah, it's it's important to know that 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 kind of thing is coming, um, but yeah. So what about you, uh, Justin and Ainsley? What was something that was tough for you guys? Let you take it first. Yeah, I will say, especially as a mother, um, it was super super hard in the beginning. Um, I feel like you lose your sense of identity in a sense. Um, not saying it's any easier for fathers, um, because it is hard going back to work a hundred percent. It really is. I feel like dads feel like they're missing out on that, you know, first little bit of bond, um, exposure and stuff like that. But there is something insanely difficult at, um, being at home for 24 hours, being inside, being with one human being while your husband is at work. Um, and you lose your sense of identity. I feel like that was the hardest thing for me. I had become a mother and that was it. I feel like I, I wasn't a wife in a sense. We didn't have very much time for ourselves to like really get to have our bond and our movie time or whatever it was that, you know, brought us together. Um, I wasn't a physician anymore. I wasn't a friend. I wasn't a sister or an aunt or anything. I was a mother. And that was it for about four to six weeks um, until I went back to work. And I went back to work pretty early. Um, I started trickling in around five weeks because I needed to um, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I feel like the day I stepped back into my office, motherhood became insanely easier for me. Um, that was what was so hard for me was losing my identity, losing everything outside of my world was gone. I was just, a little mom in my house with my baby all the time. Um, and that was hard. That was really, really hard. Yeah. And going to work, I got to, and, and it sounds so selfish. I forgot I was a mother. I forgot I had a baby back home waiting for me, but I got to have a little bit of outside exposure and me friends time. again and me time and, and feel like I was back to normal. Um, and I hate saying that because it kind of does sound selfish, but I feel like, as hard as it is for a husband to go back to work, they do get that sense of themselves and their sense of space and, and mm. all of that as, as, as hard as it is. Cause I mean, you obviously yeah. aren't sleeping and napping. You're back at work early. Sure. Well, I'll say for me, let's just be real. I was in the car industry for years and years. And then I had to be back in it when he was born. Cause I left Smith and nephew and, and went to, gone. I was, I was working 12 hour shifts. So, 
the uh, the car industry just sucks the soul out of you. So you just really don't care if you don't sleep, you have insomnia, you're stressed, mm. you're constantly that way anyway. So it didn't sure. bother me whatsoever. I was working 12 hour shifts. The only thing that sucked for me was not being present because Ainsley would send me a video of him doing something or mm. a text saying, oh my gosh, she did this today. And I was just like, it made me upset. Like I honest to God thought about walking out on that job multiple times. Each boost of the well, muscles hard. Yeah, that's that's just part of the sacrifice as a dad is, you know, you got to be a, 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 in most cases we're the breadwinner and we have to go out and we have to sacrifice our time, which is the most again, that's the most valuable thing that we have. And so it's 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 really tough to to adjust, especially when you know you've got your your wife at home and your baby at home and and you're missing out on all those things, all those pivotal moments. So, yeah, uh, let's let's move into. um a couple other areas here. Um, let's see here. Um, so actually, let's kind of go, let's do a brief overview of what we've talked about. So basically, uh, get hands-on from the beginning. Uh, learn your baby's cues and behaviors. Uh, that way you can communicate and respond to them properly. Uh, connect through touch and talking. And kind of narrate everything to your infant. Um, you can never spoil your infant too much. You can always just keep loving them as much as you can. Um, help your wife with every need that she has, including breastfeeding um, or bottle feeding, if that's the choice that y'all made. And make sure you have one-on-one -on -one time. Get the information and the resources you need uh, for your wife and for yourself, whether it's through doctors, church, family, friends, whatever you need to get a little bit of break here and there, maybe take a walk. Um, look after your relationship with your wife. Uh, that's, that's a super important one because it's so hard to even give it any time. And it's kind of one of those back burners, unfortunately. Um, and always look after yourself too, Father. So self-care, super, super important. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to kind of go over real quick is um, we're going to have another episode coming up in a few weeks. And I wanted to kind of go ahead and transition into that real quick. So uh, our next book is going to be Endurance, and it's by an Alfred Lansing, and it talks about Shackleton's um, Wild. And this is a true story, but it's it's the wildest story I've ever heard. And it's just about true human grit and leadership. Uh, they have a trip to Antarctic, um, and it's 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 incredible. It talks about and shows uh, what true leadership is uh, in the face of adversity and and the, the need of dire endurance so man most incredible book i've probably ever read that's 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 a real story so uh definitely gonna be something we're gonna discuss we're gonna discuss leadership and stuff um i wanted to give a quick shout out uh mr grant gregory great podcast love the messages it's a rare gem thank you so much for the support man we 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 love having other dads give us feedback um, you know, so, so feel free to drop in and give us any kind of commentary that you feel, uh, Dustin, Justin, you guys want to add anything before we kind of end the, the show tonight? Yeah. Um, since you guys wanted to bust me on episode one, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a word or a vowel. Uh, you were looking for the word Antarctica. Antarctica. No. <laughs> oh yeah. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> and two, um, fight, fight, we actually fight. got a few more things we want to cover. I'm going to let Ainsley kind I of busted him out us. episode one, by the way. Oh. I heard him in the bedroom and I texted him. I said, I think you misspoke. Uh, <laughs> detriment. Detrimental. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, moving forward. 
Let's go to um, two quick little points. I know I talked about what to expect when you're expecting mm-hmm. um, to read, like while you're pregnant, while you kind of have that downtime before a baby. The other really, really beneficial um, pieces of work that were helpful for us um, was Moms on Call. That was really um, kind of helpful for me solely in terms they give you a layout of, let's say, four to 16 weeks or eight to 16 weeks. It gives you kind of a basis guideline. It's called typical days what would be your ideal day? And it gives you a, you know, at 7 a.m. you feed. At 8 o'clock you play with them. At 9 o'clock you go to bed. You take a nap for ideally so amount of times. And then it kind of teaches you, like, this is ideal. If it doesn't happen this way, you shift and you adjust. And it, it gave us a basis of how to how to wrap around our days. And as he started growing and developing each um, kind of leap or – developmental milestone he hit they kind of shift weights they drop a nap or they can stretch their wake window a little bit longer so it it was a really good thing for us I wrote I literally just listened to it like on a podcast version and I wrote out four to six weeks here we go eight eight to 16 weeks this is what he should be doing or how often he should be eating or how often he should be napping which was nice And then my favorite piece of work, and it is 100% worth it. It was about $100, um, but it's called Taking Care of Babies. She is a ER um, nurse, and her husband is a pediatrician. And she goes through different um, little acronyms and things to kind of help you go along with, um, you know, how to determine what your baby's needs are. And like Dustin said, um, is it healthy to let them cry? Some people will say yes. We didn't say yes in a sense, but we didn't say no in a sense. But it sure. taught you it taught you what to do. So your baby cries. Rather than just turn the monitor off, it was sit back, observe for two minutes, mm-hmm. see what that does. Um, go in his room, turn the sound machine up a little bit more. If that doesn't work, touch him, tap his little butt, rub his belly, do something that suits him down and, and helps that. If that doesn't work, the B of sit back was put the binky in, put the pacifier in their mouth. Mm-hmm. If that didn't work, rock them, like rock their little belly or pick them up and rock them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes through all these things to try. Now, if all these things fail, pick them up and feed them. If nothing is going to contain or help your baby, feed them. But it mm-hmm. kind of helps you disassociate, cry, feed, feed to sleep. You have to take a bottle. I have to drink to fall asleep, which was super, super imperative to us. I feel like that helped us have a 13-hour sleeper without mm. having to sleep train because we learned his cues a little bit. So mm, yeah. I totally agree with Dustin in, in a major sense of that, that if your baby's crying, there's a need. They had a nightmare. They had this. Be with them. Like show them that you love them. Even if it's walking in the door and saying, Hey, mom is here. You can go back to sleep. You've got this. You don't have to touch them. You don't have to pick them up. You don't have to feed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that alone was super, super beneficial for us. And um, that's great advice. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Absolutely. That was yeah. the greatest thing you read. Yeah. yeah. And Ansel, really you did it. You did a nice job. But, oh, go ahead, Justin. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Say. 
Which oh, yeah, you did a nice job clarifying. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If your baby cries, you know, don't immediately jump up and, and rush, you know, to their rescue. Absolutely. Give it some time. What I meant was, um, you know, when your baby is crying within a reasonable amount of time, you know, as you yeah. sort of make sure you get there. But that's a very good point. If you're rushing every three seconds, you know, to be at their beck and call, that's not good either. So there, there is definitely a healthy, right. a healthy balance there. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's also another healthy element, which is it is totally fine if you're at your wits end and you're ready to, to, to have a mental breakdown or a, ment- a breaking point to lay your baby down safely in their crib and you can walk away for a few minutes mm-hmm. and take a walk. Take care of yourself if you have to. So that's, that's kind of one of those outliers that a lot of people don't talk about. And something else that I don't think about it um, that's really important for both dads and moms to do um, when they're expecting or uh, have a new baby is um, it, you need to know CPR. Um, and there are classes um, for, for baby or infant CPR, cause it is different, um, uh, than a normal person, like a human, uh, adult CPR. Yes. Like Dustin's saying, it's, it's half an inch and it's it, the, the positioning matters on their chest as well. So it's, it's super important. So, yeah. Yeah. Positioning says, what does that say, Brandon? Since you're from Ole Miss, what does that say? Uh, it's a Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, since we're we're going there, Antarctic, let's go to that. Uh, you called me out on it, but it's actually an adjective relating to the South Polar region of Antarctica. But that's not where so. he went. He went to Antarctica, buddy. I've read. <laughs> he went to the region, the South the- Polar <laughs> region of Antarctica. Justin, oh my he gosh, go to the South Polar region. And okay. we also live in a mare. It is getting arctically cold in here. Yeah, so. um, <laughs> I'm done. All right. So uh, again, we're going to be watching or uh, reading in, uh, Endurance with uh, uh, Alfred Lansing, uh, and we're going to be discussing leadership. We might have a guest. We're we've got a couple options, and we're going to try to see if we can't contact a few of them. Uh, maybe have them come on. Um, I've got a couple great ones in mind, so we'll see. But stay tuned. We'll give some updates. Um, any closing thoughts, Dustin, Justin, and you guys? Uh, so we spent 90 minutes talking about how scary it is being a new dad. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's such a joy. Um, when your child at two in the morning needs you, there's no feeling like that in the world. When you're the there only really person in the world who, the can, who can come for that child, they're crying and you pick them up and they're happy. Oh, what a feeling. It is, it is mm. beautiful. Um, you know, you there's nothing, nothing you have like a purpose. You, you, you feel so useful no matter life. like how useless you feel outside yeah. of that. You feel so useful. Yeah. It's- Absolutely. I did not I'm mind crazy. staying late at work. Now I want to get home so I can see my kid. You know, it, it's yeah. just, oh, I mean, they are, uh, it's them. a game changer. Yeah, you really do. The first, it was a couple months after we first had Lucas. It was the first time we ever had a date by ourselves. And uh, we went out. And the whole time we were driving, we're like, where, where's, where's Lucas? I don't, you know, like it's, it's all, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Just like, they're like a little virus that gets in your brain. It's all you think about. <laughs> it's a good, <laughs> and it's beautiful you. and it's amazing. And I recommend yeah. it to everybody. I'm like a salesperson that's like, yeah. have you had a baby yet? You should do it. You know, it's a, <laughs> this, this may be a it really is wonderful. Yeah. This may be a little controversial for some, but we liked, we got our baby out early because we wanted to acclimate him to noise. We wanted to acclimate him to the being mm-hmm. out in the public so that we could take him out. And now we can take him out and he's chill as a cucumber man he's just cool and we get to take him on our dates and you know mm-hmm. do things that most parents can't do because we acclimated him to that so that's but we do have days without him oh obviously <laughs> obviously yeah um, our oh. first date without the baby uh cried the whole time yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. the entire date i, I cried say. too the whole time i was 
<laughs> I was watching on the monitor. I'm like, I think he needs us. <laughs> I was like, I that was summer. <laughs> that oh, that was summer. Cocktails. If you go out on your first date, and if you're a drinker, like this guy, don't make the mistake of drinking too much. Because let me tell you, there's no worse feeling than getting up at 2.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, and 6.30 in the morning being hungover. It is hell on earth. Let me tell you. And your child will sense weakness. They do. They're like vicious. (laughs) They're like, oh, you don't feel good, Daddy? And then the night I was hungover, he's like, ah! I was like, oh, my God, dude, No. So, yeah, I got too excited about date night. Let's just say that. I had a little too many wine. Yeah. But it was, it was, it's fun, but yeah, make sure you make some time for you. It's, it's a great point though, Dustin. They are, they are so worth it, man. And I feel like just over my small time on this earth, no good or great thing comes without suffering and challenges. And so child's children are that one of those things i mean you you've got to suffer and you've got to get through the the tougher tougher things to to actually enjoy it i know i know i'm tired guys you have to have to forgive me me here time is 9 p.m yeah i'm I'm about done but but yeah let's let's end it uh fellas and ladies uh i appreciate everybody coming on and watching uh if you have any further comments or um anything let us know on um youtube there and just know that we'll be uh, attaching some uh, some good links and some good resources for you guys to kind of read over and look over uh, as new dads. And uh, if you need anything, uh, feel free to join our group on Facebook or post to us. Uh, we're more than welcome to help how we can. So uh, like, with share, that, subscribe. Yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, so uh, thank you guys, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for watching this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Please be sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel, and turn on notifications so you can know when we go live next. Also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and our Discord channel. It's our desire to grow this fathership together and support dads out there. If you think this channel would be beneficial to someone you know, please share it with them. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.